At the end of your life, what will be your legacy? What will you leave behind for future generations? For the world, join the world messenger, Isabella Lundberg, each week as she brings you a new distinguished guest from the business, sports, or entertainment world to share their success, their struggles, and their lessons. They will share their insights into current hot topics that affect everyone. Isabella facilitates an intimate, vulnerable environment to find the true value of humanity and real leadership. Are you ready for your legacy? The legacy that matters? Hello, hello, my beautiful friends. It's Isabella Olympic here, the world messenger, and I have another epic guest here for an On the Legacy Leader Show. Uh, someone who actually is going to tell you something that you have to know, uh, how to navigate properly a 911 calls and public safety, because even if you may not need it, someone you love and care for will. And we are not as equipped to really understand, unless we are in emergency and really dire situation, how to do all of this. And guess what? We have someone who is not only expert in being actually uh, working in 911 call centers and navigating those calls with phenomenal stories, but also addressing public safety through the lens that all of us need to know more and understand better. So without further ado, I am bringing Ricardo Martinez, who is here with us, joining us from Indiana uh, and wanted to share a little bit, first of all, how he got into industry and then what happens right now as we are speaking, because his podcast is amazing. <laughs> Over how many million listeners and downloads? I mean, you have such amazing, amazing following and engagement, don't you, Ricardo? Yes. First off, thank you very much for having me on. This is a, it's an honor and it's always good to be able to come on and have um, you know, strong conversations, especially about things like this. And uh, especially when it comes to public safety, because not a lot of people, you know, understand it, but um as, as it pertains to the to the podcast, you know, right now I'm at uh, 1.85 million downloads and it's heard in over 60 countries. And really, when I started this, I never thought that it would get to where it is right now. But uh, it has been an amazing experience. Wow. First of all, we want to congratulate you. And what a great way to hear from the experts, subject matter experts, someone who not only is talking with other dispatchers and people around the country and around the world and 911 calls, but also someone who actually did the work himself. So Ricardo, you how many years you spent in the industry? And do you mind sharing how this started? Yeah, of course. So I was uh, I was an I one dispatcher and call taker as well as a supervisor on the line for 13 and a half years. Um, I actually started out in 2001. Um, I'm still in public safety doing many different things. So uh, a total of probably about 21 years now in public safety. Um, but my, my time under the headset was 13 and a half years. So, you know, I just kind of on a whim, you know, I, I ended up uh, going to Florida. I'm originally from Southwest Michigan and, uh, you know, born and raised there. And I was kind of going through uh, a few different life changes myself. You know, I'm about 18 going on 19 during this time. And I'm a firm believer that once you hit your own rock bottom, um, you, the only way is up. And, and that's also when you know what you're actually made of, right? Because you're clawing your way back to the top. And I remember when I left Michigan, there was a song that I played and it's a song called um, Alive. And 
as soon as this song came on the radio and I heard it and I was on my way to Florida, I thought something good is going to happen. I don't know what, but I just feel it. You know, it was, it was something that was there, you know, and it, it makes my, the, the hair on my arm stand up right now. Cause that's how I felt then. And I went to visit my mom, my grandmother and my sisters. And I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with life, what, where I was at. At the time, again, I'm 18 going on 19. I've got a, a son who's about a year old, and I'm trying to figure out what's going to happen with my future. And at the time, I only had retail management experience. And I had been there for a little while with my with my mom and my grandmother and my sisters. And my mom says, so, you know, you think maybe it's time for you to find a job? And I thought, yeah, probably. You know, I've I've been there long enough, obviously. So. I'm looking for retail management jobs and th there wasn't anything. And just out of the blue one day, my mom says, you know, your cousin knows the the chief of police. And um, he was talking to her husband saying that they're looking for dispatchers. Maybe you should try that. And I remember looking at my mom and kind of chuckling and saying, I, I have no idea. I have no idea what they do, but uh, sure, I'll try it. So I go in and I have that interview. It's the chief and the lieutenant. And they're firing questions at me just over and over and over and over, building upon each other and going through these different scenarios. And I was keeping up with them. And I thought, oh, man, I'm awesome. You know, I'm, I'm keeping up with them, whatever it is that that's going on. But, you know, thinking about it now, um, years later, they were doing it on purpose to test me to see if I could handle the pressure of taking these phone calls that I was going to deal with where things like that was going to happen. So I went through the interview. And I didn't hear anything from them for like two months. And I thought, oh, I guess, I, I guess I didn't get the job, you know? And out of nowhere, one day, I'm I'm getting ready to just kind of doze off. I'm, I'm gonna take a nap. And my grandmother barges into the room and she's yelling at me in Spanish that the police are there. But then she goes, What did you do? And I was like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I was like, what? And she goes, Yeah, what did you do? Because there, there's somebody outside asking for you. And I said, I didn't do anything. And she goes, you need to go check. So I go outside and it's the chief of police. And I, you know, I said, hello. And he goes, Hey, you know, I just, I wanted to see if you still wanted the job. And I said, well, of course, but I haven't heard from you. So I thought, I, I thought I didn't make it. And he goes, well, you know, our, our background checks take a long time. He goes, but you checked out. And if you want the job, it's yours. Now, if you think about it, sometimes with new jobs, a lot of times you start like a week later, right? Or a few days later, something like that. So I asked him and he goes, oh no, you start tonight. And I said, what? And he goes, yeah, you work the midnight shift tonight. And I said, um, okay. And he goes, you want the job, don't you? And I said, no, 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 I do. I just, I thought that, uh, you know, there was going to be some time. He goes, no, you start at 10 o'clock tonight from 10 to six in the morning. So I ended up going to take a nap. And that's kind of how I fell into it really was just through word of mouth and going in. But that first night, I actually went right into taking my first call just right off the bat. And wow. right. Yes. Now you think about it, you're taking 911 calls. There would be more training, right? So I go yeah. in that night and I meet my trainer and uh, I'll just say he was a very seasoned 911 dispatcher who had been there for a while. <laughs> and um, he shows me around and, and is telling me everything that's there, how it works. And then 911 rings and I'm observing him as he's going through this call. 
And then when he's done with the call, he turns around and looks at me and goes, okay, you're next. What <gasps> oh, a pressure, what anxiety. Oh my goodness. Right. Because you don't know what kind of call you're going to get. You don't know what's going to happen. Right. So what happened? Exactly. So I'm, I'm already, I'm immediately afraid, right? Because like you just said, you don't know what's going to be coming in. And I remember saying to him, are you serious? Like, is this really, there's no other training? Like, I don't understand. Why am I already jumping on phone calls? And he goes, look, the only way you're going to really get this down is by jumping in and taking calls because you learn on the job. And really what this job consists of is one, being human, two, having some thick skin, and three, common sense. That's what mm. you really need. Mm. So this whole time I'm sitting there talking with him and I'm waiting for the phone to ring. And finally it rings and he goes, you're up. So I answer. 911, where's your emergency? And it turned out to be a misdial. <laughs> it was it was an accident. The person, that, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. The person who called said, wait, what? You know, who is this? And I was like, this is 911. And they go, Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't it was a misdial. It must have sat on my phone or something. I, I didn't mean to call you. And I I, you know, got their information and then hung up. And he goes, see, you know, the first one is is down. I was like, oh, geez. So that whole time, you know, I had been worrying and everything. But, you know, luckily, about a week or so later, I did go to a 40-hour beginner's dispatcher course where they teach you a bunch of different techniques, how to talk to people. But even with that little bit, especially early on in the beginning, there was never really a lot of talk about your mental health and wellness, the types of calls that you're going to take that are actually going to stick with you, the screams, yeah. the yells, the things that people say that will be in your head, possibly for the rest of your life, depending on how hard that call was. A lot of that wasn't talked about. You know, there was, it was kind of taboo, you know, and in some places it still is with mental health and wellness. And, and, you know, self-care and everything. I don't remember ever hearing anything about self-care back then. So it was really, you're kind of on your own, you know, trying to figure out all of this stuff. Now, again, this was 2001 and there, there were not a lot of, I would say, hard calls that I had taken through my training, but there was one because I knew eventually I was going to take a hard call. And eventually that did happen. Hmm. Wow, I'm sure you never forget that first phone call of true real emergency, right? And then how that changed your perspective of how valuable work you are doing and truly saving people's lives. Yeah. And, you know, I because the job was 911, right? Everything happens over the phone. That's where I was thinking that first call was going to be, but it, it wasn't. It was face to face. So mm -hmm. what it was, was the, the, it was the first night that I was going to be on my own. No more training. It was done with training. Wow. Yeah. So this is the first night that I'm going to be on my own. And the chief of police is, uh, he is standing there talking to me, getting ready to leave. And he goes, do you think you're going to be able to do this? And I said, come on. I was like, I got you. Don't worry about it. I said, besides. We both know that you listen to the radio constantly 
So if you hear something, you're going to come over here and help me anyway, right? Because you just live down the road. And he laughed and he goes, okay, you know me well. Yes, I would come and help you if something happened. And I said, okay, don't worry about it. So he turns around to leave. And in this small police department, you can open the door and walk right in. There's like a little lobby area. And then on the other side is where dispatch is. And then in the back is where the rest of uh, the police department is and all. And we would have people come in, you know, and, and have complaints or, or talk or whatever, you know. And we hear a car screech up and a door opens and we hear a female yelling and screaming. And then the door opens to the police department and a lady runs in and she just keeps yelling, I found him. I found him. And I'm standing there and thinking, what is going on? And, you know, the, everybody knew the chief of police. Chief of police knew pretty much everyone because this is a small town. And he kind of grabs her by the arms and, and goes, what is going on? What is going on? You know, tell us what's going on. So what had happened was her and her husband were separated. They were trying to figure out whether or not they wanted to continue their marriage. And she finally decided, yes, I want to. They had kids together and everything, and she wanted to make it work. So she goes home to tell her husband, and she found that he had hung himself. And so I had sent everyone over there. You know, She is sitting there in the police department with me. She's sitting in the lobby area and I'm on the other side. The chief of police is with the other officer and, and everyone out at the house. And this house is just kind of across the street diagonal from the police department. And they were out there and what do you do? What do you do with the person that's there? You be human, right? So I go into the lobby with her and I asked her if there was anyone that she wanted me to call for her and she wanted some family called. So I said, okay, got a hold of the family. And they were there with her for a little bit and then they left. And the chief and the officer who was out there, they came back and, and like this, this had been bothering me because again, I thought my first call like that of that nature would be over the phone, but this is face to face. That's not what I was expecting. And yes. I remember when they came back, one of the officers had the note and one of the big things that dispatchers deal with is we don't get any closure. We mm -hmm. take phone calls and we build a puzzle in our, we put, we put this puzzle together, these pieces together to try to create whatever it is that is going on, what we're listening to over the phone to give to those out in the field, officers, EMS, fire, whatever, to what they're going out to, to help them visualize as well what is going on. But we get that first call. So I had had that closure, right? I knew what happened. The person hung themselves, but it, it for me, it was almost as if like, I, I wanted to know, like, how did you get to this point? You know, what, what was going through your mind? What was going on? And I kept kind of trying to peek over at the note and the officer saw me and he goes, do you want to read it? And I said, I don't know why, but yes. And basically what it had said was that he felt terrible that he and his wife were unable to make it work and that he really, really wanted it to work, but he couldn't live without her or their children. 
And all I could think was, man, if you would have waited maybe just a little bit longer, we wouldn't be talking about this right now because she ultimately wanted the same thing. And after I read that note, I thought, wow, this is, this is the job that I've gotten into. But um, it's definitely something that I keep with me because I, that's why I, I wanted the job to continue after that, especially to help people and to be able yeah. to do anything that I could to be able to help someone. But that first one, that will always stick with me. And whenever I go back to visit in the town where I, where I used to work, I go to that plot of land where the police department used to be. The county ended up taking over and the building isn't there anymore. But I, I always go to that spot to reflect and remember where I started. Mm. What a powerful journey and what a powerful story. Ricardo, thank you for putting this in perspective because you guys are 99% very invisible. Mm -hmm. uh, you're not on the field as you mentioned, yet you're so instrumental for the people on the field. And you don't necessarily get a credit uh, for the amazing work that you guys do and how to navigate everything else in those splits of seconds of people while they're still on that call before either they can hang up or something else happens. And I just wanted to say, first of all, thank you for doing what you're doing uh, to help and bring awareness to public safety and to 911, but also truly um, for being that amazing representative of what is to be human and how do we make decisions and choices that in this case, fortunate for that man, it's no point of return, right? Mm -hmm. And we see now very much so high percentage of suicides of wide range of people. And that is really, really hard and difficult when it's so permanent, isn't it? Yes. And I, I'm a firm believer that a lot of the stuff that we experience in our life can help us in other situations, no matter what occupation it is or what stage of life that you're in. And in dispatch, I also feel that same way. Like I, I'm, I feel like certain calls are meant for us to take because we have that experience that can help in a way that others might not have because they don't have that experience. So for instance, on, on, on the same talk of, you know, suicidal callers and everything, there was a time where I was dealing with a lot of shoulder pain, a lot of back pain, a lot of things that I needed to figure out for myself as to what it was that was bothering me. And I finally took a shot and decided I'm not going to be embarrassed to do this, especially if I do it wrong. Um, uh, yoga. I decided to do yoga to try to stretch everything that was going out. And it was actually the only thing that helped. And I thought it was amazing. And I remember taking a call one night and it was a lady who called and she was suicidal. And when people call in like that, you have to find a way to relate. And, and we're, you know, we're empaths. We put ourselves in their shoes to be able to relate and understand and connect. Yeah. It's just voices, but we connect that way, right? We're human. And, and also to be able to, again, piece together this puzzle for those who are going out there so they know exactly what it is that they're dealing with. So they weren't 
real close. So when when the uh, responders that are going out there are not that close, you have to continue that conversation. And with this person specifically, I, just, I, I went in. I used to have a trainer who I would listen to with suicidal callers say, you know, what's your favorite movie? What's your, what type of music do you listen to? And connect on that level to be able to keep them from thinking about what it was that they wanted to do originally until help gets there. So I went there. This person was telling me they had been dealing with a lot of back pain, a lot of shoulder pain. So because I had had that experience already, I mentioned to them, you know, this is what I did for myself. I'm not saying it'll fully help you, but maybe it's another option than from what you want to do, which is commit suicide because they were going through so much pain. So we're talking about yoga and the stuff that I did. And she's asking me all of these different questions. And at the end of it, EMS arrived and she said, thank you. She said she didn't want to do it anymore because now there was another option. And now whenever I practice yoga, I think of that person. We're always going to be connected that way. <clears throat> How powerful that is. And as you said, because there is another option. Mm -hmm. And um, it's always another option. And you spot on sometimes when we're overwhelmed and stressed out and doing so much, we don't see that. We don't, pain is too unbearable. We don't understand why. And then also impact implication that it does on loved ones and friends and everybody else in the community, right? Um, but do you mind sharing a little bit with us? How did you really start the podcast? How did you start this amazing storytelling in a way that connects people around the globe? I mean, you said you're in 60 some countries mm -hmm. and people around the world not only listen, but also you have interviewed some of the amazing talent and um, they share some really powerful story. So, you know, a lot of this was, uh, it, it came from my own burnout that I was going through. Um, it really, the burnout really hit hard when I took the phone call when my grandmother passed away. Mm. And, you know, what are the odds, right? My, my grandmother was in hospice care we knew that she was getting close to passing away. And I'm sitting there on a backup uh, position. And so I'm not answering a lot of calls. It's about three in the morning or so. And my partner who's on the main phones, she says, I'm going to, I'm going to get up and go get something from the break room. And I said, okay, you know, go ahead. There's nothing going on anyway. That right there is almost like you're tempting fate, right? It's like something's yes. going to happen now. You just, you're tempting fate. As soon as that door shut, the phone rang. Now, I never hesitate to pick up a 911 call. But for whatever reason, this was different. And on the phone system that I was working on at the time, if you waited for one ring, the information would pop up on the screen. And when the phone rang, the hair in the back of my neck stood up and it just was completely different. And I waited that one ring and I saw my mom's cell phone number on there. And I picked up the phone, 911, where's your emergency? And it's my cousin. And she goes, Richie? And I said, yeah. 
And she goes, grandmother, grandma just passed away. And I thought, again, what are the odds that I would be the one to take that call? Now, years later, I'm telling a friend of mine this story, and he goes, what a blessing. And I hadn't thought about it in that sense until then. And I thought, you know, my grandmother had been with my family, like living with my parents before myself and my siblings were born. So when I was born, she was there in the beginning. So it was perfect that she was there for me in the beginning. And I was there for her at the end. Mm. So from there, this burnout started kicking in and I loved what I was doing, but there was so much involved that it, I, I was trying to find a way to reignite, reignite that passion that I had. So the start of the podcast and everything came from my own struggles, not, not being able or not having anyone to talk to and wanting to share my stories. So I start blogging about it and I'm blogging about everything, all kinds of different stories, not just dispatch. I hadn't gotten to that part yet. It was really just my life, you know, stuff that happened in my life, funny stories, sad stories, everything. And then I started just writing down my calls and it was therapeutic. And I remember going to my assistant director and saying, I'm going to do this. I want to do this. I want to write about my calls because I was there with the people who called in. And I don't think people understand that. I'm not just answering the phone. I might sound calm, cool, and collected, but in the back of my mind, I'm freaking out right with that caller. But it is my job to keep everybody calm, including myself. But it sticks with me. So she had told me no. She said, no, we don't want to, you don't want to do that because we don't want to get sued or anything. And I said, I'm not going to be using names. I'm not going to use addresses. I'm only telling my side of the story. And she says, she said no again. And I remember saying, you know, a couple of weeks ago in our supervisors meeting, you had all said that you can't regulate our feelings online or social media. Right. And she goes, well, yeah. And I said, thank you. That's all I needed. And I started writing. That was my green light. That was my loophole <laughs> to continue what I wanted to do because, again, it was therapeutic for me to get this out. So I ended up going back to school. I got three different degrees. And all the projects that I was doing had to do with dispatch, had to do with public safety. And the job that I felt like was killing me in the beginning actually saved me because I was writing about this, because I was able to get these stories out. I was no longer afraid of that stigma of looking weak. It was more courageous in a way for me to open up and share these stories. And, and the more I started talking, the more others in the center started talking as well. And we were getting this out. And I thought, it's a new day. Like we, we are, there's a, there's a common saying in dispatch that is dispatchers are the most important person you will never see. And I wanted to bring it to the spotlight. I wanted to pull that curtain back and show what it is really like to answer a phone call and, and deal with all of this, this that's coming in. So from writing about it, I ended up getting into podcasting and started sharing my stories and then having other dispatchers come on and share their stories. And it just started to build and build and build. And it's been going on ever since. All of these stories are out there, these stories that people had no idea because there's a, you know, certain things that they see on TV or just simply hear about that just people don't know. But I wanted to get it out there 
and share. But it all started because of my own issues that I was having with holding these calls in and it being bad for me, you know, mental health and wellness and, and just all of it. But I also, I wanted to leave this profession in a better place than where I was in the beginning so that people wouldn't have to go through feeling alone or feeling like they're the only ones going through certain situations when really we all are. Everyone is fighting their own battle, you know? How powerful that is. Oh, wow. That is truly amazing. And the reason I'm bringing this up again, it's just the listening to you to admit that you're struggling and then finding healthy outlets of telling the stories and healing with that and helping others to heal specifically because they see, you keep saying this part world is predominantly women. I didn't know that. And then, you know, women differently than men and then for you to be the man instead of being that macho and everything is super cool and awesome uh how that could be very self-destructive right uh, you'll find a great healthy outlet as a result so tell us so, so what was the, some of the most powerful stories or, or or people that you encounter because you've been doing this now for over 10 years right Yes. So this January, um, it'll it'll actually hit the the ten year mark, and I uh, tomorrow will be putting out episode four hundred fifty eight. So there are stories upon stories that have gone out there. Um, one of the ones that that really you know kind of sticks with me is uh, in episode eighty of the podcast. I had a gentleman. Uh, come on. His name is Steve Souter. He's a former director out of Fairfax County out of uh, Virginia. And he told me a story about his first day in dispatch. And when he was telling me about this, I'm just staring into the camera. And when it was my turn to talk, all I could think was, wow, I didn't know how to respond. Because, you know, a lot of times with guests, I'll try to compare stories, you know, and, and really relate. But with what he told me, I thought there's no way I can relate to this. So his first day in dispatch was the day that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And he is working in D.C. at this time. So a few hours later, those D.C. riots end up breaking out. And he was in dispatch for, I don't know, three or four days straight. But that was his first day in dispatch. And I remember asking him, you know, the same thing, like, what was your training like? And he goes, I went in and they said, you know how to work a radio, right? Because he, he came from the fire service as well. And he says, yeah. And they said, here's your pencil. Here's your paper. There's the map. And that was it. <laughs> so to, to be able to, to navigate that, but also, you know, that be that day of that assassination and then working through those riots, this, his story was just compelling. And there are many stories, you know, a lot of, um, you know, I want uh, dispatchers sharing their stories about what it was like in the beginning. Some of those calls that stick with them. And, but there's also a lot of funny ones as well, which is good because, you know, there's, there's a, there's a lot of horrific, there's a lot of bad that happens in 911, but there's a lot of good too. You know, there's a lot of saves. There's a lot of different things and, you know, saves that I dealt with as well that, you know, I have newspaper clippings of some of those stories that, uh, you know, families had put out there and thinking public safety, but also dispatch. And I was a part of that. So there's there's many different stories, but that one really is is one that that sticks out. Hmm. 
wow, bringing us back to the history, I can't even imagine what was that like for that gentleman to be part of and how, what, how information traveled and then how information was disseminated and how long it took it to know really what's going on and stressors and fear factor and, and so much unknown, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you know, when, when people call in, you know, one of the big things that, that we would teach uh, or that it was taught to me and that I, I would teach as well later on as, as kind of a, as a trainer is that, you know, when people call in, they're not calling in because they're having the best day. And you have to kind of think outside the box right away as to how to get certain information from those who are calling. Yes. Especially when it comes with um, descriptions and and what it is that they're seeing because a lot of times people see what they want to see or what they think they saw and we're there to put together that whole puzzle but one of the big things you know right off the bat is what is your address because sometimes people would say well what if what if they just give you the phone number instead and then you can call them back and say well we want the address first so that if we can't get you back on the phone we at least have that address to be able to send help out to you. And, you know, others will ask, well, you know, what, what exactly is it like, you know, can you give an example? And I would give them a scenario of, of something that happened to me where you've got three 911 calls that have come in. One of them is a, a personal injury accident. You've got everyone headed out that way. You're on the phone with them and all these multiple calls are coming in for that accident, but then another call comes in. And if you're the only one on the phones at the time that's able to get that, you have to put them on hold and get the other call. And now you've got a domestic. You've got a couple that's arguing. It's verbal, verbal only. You've got help going that way. You put them on hold because anything can happen in 911, anything. Another mm -hmm. call comes in and now you've got a medical and you're doing CPR instructions. While you're doing CPR, EMS is headed out that way. And there's a portion where they're doing compressions where you can actually put them on hold for just a split second to check on that other call, that domestic. You check on the domestic and now there's a weapon involved. Oh, goodness. Who, who do you stay with? Which call do you choose? Mm. And you have to make these split second decisions. So you stay with the one that has the weapon that's involved because the officers are heading out there. The person who's doing CPR, they're doing textbook CPR already. EMS is already almost there. So really you're just staying on the phone with them to make sure that they're continuing those compressions, right? The accident, there's already people there. Everyone's around there. EMS and, and police fire, whoever's already going out there, but this domestic with the weapon, you need to keep an eye on and, and be on that call because you have to know where they're at where they're going because you've got officers that are going out there at that time and they need to know that there's a weapon involved. But that's how crazy 911 can be is you're triaging these calls and trying to figure out where the attention goes to. And, and everywhere right now, and it has been like this for years, dispatch centers are, are short-staffed. It's, a, it's mm -hmm. a crazy thing, but also a, a job that I love. <laughs> and, I, and I wouldn't change it. Wow. So you're still working in dispatch world in addition to having your podcast. So you're still involved in the 911 um, public safety and security. So I'm, I've actually been out of dispatch for nine years now. 
but I'm involved in public safety through the podcast, through this media company that I built around the podcast, but also helping other dispatch centers. Um, I'm also, um, you know, a, a public speaker. So I go to these conferences and I will help others be able to share their stories. So I'm, I'm still involved heavily in the 911 space. I'm just not physically in dispatch anymore, taking calls, but um, I visit centers. I go back to my old center sometimes and, and hang out with them and, and, you know, kind of get into that environment. But one of the biggest things that I ended up doing on top of the podcast was starting the I am 911 movement. So in 2016 um, was the start of the discussion about reclassification. Currently, 911 dispatchers are seen as clerical workers through the Office of Management and Budget. They're in the clerical class. And public safety is trying to get dispatch reclassified to be in the protective class with police, fire, EMS, lifeguards. There's a, a bunch in there. And yes. they started this conversation. And there wasn't a lot of traction that was going. And, and I was watching this. And I thought, you know, one of the things that both of the main 911 organizations are trying to do is, well, not just this, but also share stories. One of the things that they wanted to do is share stories. And I thought, I've been sharing stories for a while. Let me, I'm going to insert myself into this battle and, and see if I can help raise awareness. So what I did was I shared a meme with just a glimpse of a, of a call that I took. And all it said was, I heard your last breath the night you flipped your four-wheeler. Hashtag I am 911. And I wanted to do this through this power of storytelling and have other dispatchers do the same thing, just to simply share a glimpse so that people would get a better idea, a raw look at exactly what it's like to not only take a phone call, but how it impacts us and how we're there throughout the whole thing. And the reason I put it that way is, I was the one who was there. I did this or whichever. To me, that was another form of communication where I'm never going to meet the people that I spoke to. However, if they were to read that story or anybody else, something similar, they would know that they were not alone and that I still think about them. So I put that out there and I asked others to do the same thing and it exploded all yeah. around the world now when dispatchers were sharing their stories that way and it, it just it continued and it's been going on like that since 2016 we've been sharing those types of stories i am 911 stories and i go to different conferences and i have this session called imagine listening because i want people to do just that imagine listening to this call and dispatchers share their own i am 911 stories whether it be out loud or um, they write it down and I read it for them. And it's also part of the podcast as well, where people listen to these Imagine Listening sessions. But it's only for the first 30 minutes. It's an hour-long session, but those first 30 minutes is basically peer support. You've got folks in there who are sharing stories, and people are crying. But they're, get, mm -hmm. it's they're getting it out, these stories they've held in and buried for so long. But they're there sharing these stories with people who know exactly where they're coming from. But the last 30 minutes of that is called open mic. And that's where we share the lighter side of dispatch. So we start out emotionally intense, but the last mm -hmm. half of that, 
are all the funny 911 stories. And it's, again, it's been an amazing experience. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm so glad that you were in trenches in that way and bringing everything together and creating much needed movement. I really do hope that classification will happen very soon because it's so necessary, specific after I'm seeing what's going on in US and how much we count uh, on you guys uh, to make uh, magic happen, right? But I'm curious now with some of that open mic funny stories, do you mind sharing a few funny stories with us for everybody watching and listening? So they can also that are possibly interested in being dispatcher or learning more about 911 or avenues to really contribute or support. Um, that all of that is not just the also life in dire situations. Sometimes, as you said, it's some funny life stories as well. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there are there are a lot of different things that that happens in nine one one, and sometimes it almost feels like when you've taken several hard calls, the dispatch universe or whatever it is ends up throwing you some funny ones as well to break up the chaos that can be nine one one, and you know, for, for myself, you know, we'll have people who would call in and are just saying stuff that you wouldn't believe, you know, and you, it makes you think, is this real life? Like, is this really happening right now? And I remember a gentleman calling in and he, he called in about seven or eight times. And he just kept telling me that something was going to happen to a government official that I needed to call this phone number. I needed to call this phone number. Something bad was going to happen. And I'm just trying to get information from him and who he is and, and where he's at, because he was calling from a phone that didn't have service. But if you have a cell phone that doesn't have service, but the phone works, like the battery is is good, you can still call 911 because it's, it, it's, it's in there. They allow that to happen. And, uh, so he's calling and I, I don't know where he's at. And then he stops calling. And I tell my supervisor, you know, he gave me this phone number. I think we're going to call it. And she goes, no, don't call it. It's probably just going to go back to him anyway. And I said, no, I'm going to go ahead and call it because he kept telling me you need to call the white house. And I called the phone number and sure enough, I hear white house switchboard. And I thought, excuse me? And she goes, this is the White House switchboard. And I said, like the real White House, like in Washington, D.C., like this is who I'm calling. And she goes, yeah, can I help you? And I said, well, I'm, you know, I'm so-and-so from such dispatch center. And this person was calling saying this and that. I just, and she goes, oh, we know who he is. Yeah, we checked him out. He's fine. And I started laughing because she's laughing with me. And I thought, I cannot believe this is happening right now. Like he actually gave me the phone number to the White House switchboard and they knew exactly who he was. And <laughs> it was it was hilarious. And, and, and I hang up the phone and my supervisor goes, are you serious right now? Is that really what that was? And I said, yes, he really had me call the White House like that really happened. So, you know, there's there's things like that. But also, you know, there's there's other times that people call because um, <laughs> someone who had, had called in because there was a person who was naked on stilts walking back and forth in front of their living room uh, window outside. And 
they're like, we need you to send somebody out here. And like, I, I felt so bad for, for the person. I'm actually listening on the phone as this is going on. My partner was taking the call and she's like, can you believe this? I was like, no, I can't believe it. They didn't find the person, but that house was not far from a college. And they thought that it was like something going on with one of the fraternities or something, you know, there was a dare that was going on, but there's stuff like that that ends up coming in that people call about and all you can do is be professional as professional as possible. Now, one call that I can tell you, I had someone call in and they, uh, I can never remember what it's called, but they were using one of those little machines on their neck to help them talk, but they sound kind of like, you know, robotic a little bit. Right. And I answer the phone and, you know, 911, where's your emergency? And I hear, I need help. And I thought, okay, that's weird. And I'm, it, the person sounds like kind of like a robot, right? And so I'm going through this and I had gotten the name, the first name as Carl. Okay. And I keep, I keep saying, Carl, you know, where's Carl was having an issue with their daughter. And it was again, it was a domestic, it was verbal, nothing physical, no one got hurt or anything like that. And I kept them separated. Well, at the end of the call, Carl had had enough of me saying Carl. So what I end up hearing is my name is not Carl, it's Carol. And she goes, This thing makes me sound like a man. Ha 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 ha. And <laughs> There was there was nothing else I could do but laugh with Carol. And I said, I am so sorry. I thought you said Carl. And she goes, no, it's Carol. And says, have a nice day. And, and, and we hung up. And I just sat there thinking this whole time, I thought this was a Carl, but it was Carol. I heard her wrong. And it was, it was embarrassing. But it was hilarious because she started laughing. And <laughs> there was nothing else I could do. But you know, you get put in those situations and you're supposed to remain professional, but like it, in that moment, all I could do was laugh with Carol and also be beat red and sweating because I was so embarrassed. <laughs> oh my goodness. Things happen, but it's amazing. Uh, again, what do you get yourself into sometimes? And it's like, how do you, as you said, uh, navigate that and professionalism and calmness really makes magic happen, doesn't it? So Ricardo, obviously you're living and leading amazing legacy. You're making so much impact and strides on global level, but definitely in the United States and with changes of reforms and pushing different things. But if nothing else, you're making tremendous visibility and understanding more and more from public safety and 911 and as a result, phenomenal storytelling and helping those individuals that are uh, stuck in that uh, mundane work as some people will think, you know, because it's very stressful, it's very challenging and people truly don't, don't appreciate as much uh, what people are going through, right? Right. What, so my question to you is, what would you say would, you are now leading towards your legacy? Because you already, as I mentioned, loving and leading that. Uh, but what would you like to leave? Uh, because obviously with everything now that you said, you never thought about this is possible. You never thought about you can do it. And now, now bar is getting higher and higher. Uh, what ultimately you like to be remembered for? And what would you like your legacy to be? Uh, you know, 
a lot of people have have mentioned, you know, the, just the, the things that I've done, and I, I've always said to them, you know, I'm just a, I'm just kind of a 911 nerd who, <laughs> who really loved uh, what he was doing, and you know, I, I continue to. I I'm basically I just like I said earlier, you know, I I wanna I wanted to leave the profession in a spot that was better than when I found it, and when I was there, it was it was hard to talk about the issues that we were having and those conversations were taboo and it seemed like we weren't allowed to feel right. You, you take the one call and then you continue to the next one. You don't get a chance to breathe. Sometimes you don't get a chance to reflect or, you know, think about what it is that you did throughout the day. Mm -hmm. And in doing this, it is my hope that people will feel more comfortable sharing what it is that they're going through and just be open about it and be there for each other because we are the best communicators. But when it comes to communicating with each other, it's not there. It's a lot different now, but before it wasn't there. Um, you didn't want to be, the one to look like you couldn't hack it. But now, like I've said before, it's a new day. So in my legacy, I guess, I just, I guess I just want to be seen as someone who was able to give a voice to those that felt like they didn't have a voice and that it was okay not to be okay and that they're not alone. That is so powerful. And of course, no dull moment in what you do. And obviously things get going in so many different directions and just the understanding others that are going through a lot of challenges professionally and then also personally and helping them out to navigate that better. Uh, it's just in itself a tremendous undertaking, but also amazing legacy to have. So in closing, for everybody listening and watching this episode, what would you say just to increase awareness or advice around public safety and specifically around 911 dispatchers? Um, what would you recommend for them either if they need to interact with or call uh, or just simply keep it more safe, how to leverage and utilize this tremendous service? When you call in, know where you're at location is everything and also although there's a lot of technology out there there are still a lot of places where if you call on a cell phone your location doesn't pop up so be aware i think that's one of the biggest things when it comes to 911 be aware and when we're asking you all of these questions none of the time or response is taken away from the amount of questions that are being asked. I know there are a lot of times where people think, you're asking me all these questions, just send me help. But what you don't know is that help was sent like that already. We have to ask all of these questions so that we know exactly who else to send and what the response type needs to be. Because it might be different. Again, with a verbal domestic, is different from a domestic that's physical or has weapons. 
And we need to know all that information to be able to assess the situation and get the people out there with what's needed to help you. Mm-hmm. So that's probably one of the biggest things, location and to be patient with the amount of questions that are being asked because it doesn't delay the time of the response. It's just stuff that we need to know, stuff that we need to ask because otherwise, um, you know, people might get there and maybe it'll be one officer versus two or three because we didn't know that there was weapons involved or we didn't know that, you know, there was this or that. So questions, it's, it's a big thing. But please be patient with us when we're asking you so many questions. <laughs> that is so true because a lot of times you arrive when we're in a crisis, it's like why they're asking this and then and you kind of go in the panic mode and you feel like things are being for a long time. Sometimes minutes can feel like a century, right? Um, but mm-hmm. it's so important to understand uh, the other side and uh, quicker, faster for things to happen. So again, Ricardo, it's absolute pleasure. And it's just amazing to hear all of the great work that you're doing. And for everybody watching and listening that I want to tap into of your tremendous work, your podcast, where did they find you? So everyone can find me on uh, withinthetrenches.net. It's the the main hub where everything is held. But for the Within the Trenches podcast, um, you can find it on Apple Podcasts or really anywhere that you find your podcast or favorite podcast. Uh, podcasting platform, you can find within the trenches podcast there. But there are also, um, there's a live broadcast that I do every Thursday at uh, 9pm Eastern time. And it's open mic, and there will be dispatchers that come on. It's a live broadcast dispatchers come on in the audience, and they share all of their funny stories. And I read them from the comments, sometimes verbatim. And sometimes my mom is in the audience. So it's almost a mission for those who are in the audience sharing stories to tell me some of the most crazy ones because my mom is there to see if I'll actually read them because it's my mom. You know, I have a a lot of respect for my parents. So it turns out to be a a very funny thing, but within the trenches.net is the main hub for everything. Thank you for listening to Legacy Leader Show. If you enjoyed the content and had a positive experience, then please leave us a positive rating. In addition, Leave us positive review whenever you are listening on whatever platform there might be. Make sure your friends and family also know about the benefit and value that we provide and what we have to offer. Cheers. Mm-hmm.